I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely, and this is the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast. I'm taking the taboos of menopause and perimenopause and bringing light to the dark. No bullshit, no shame. It's time for us to gain a new paradigm in female health, out with the old and in with the new, and I'm bringing fresh perspectives from someone in the arena. I've been practicing women's health for nearly 20 years, and I'm spilling the tea on what it means to live at midlife, knowing that the best is yet to come. I'm sharing my Gen X approach to living through this transition, sassy, a bit sweary, and always honest. Tactical tips and instantly usable information is my aim. I hope to make you laugh and that you learn something new that helps you embrace the change. Together, we bring power to the Perry. Onward to the podcast. Welcome to the Not Your Mother's Menopause. I'm Dr. Fiona Lovely. How are you doing today? I'm super excited to bring you uh, fresh content today uh, as I was putting together the material for this episode uh, over the weekend and today. I thought, you know, it's about time. It's been a little while since I talked about sex. That's what we're talking about today. And I thought, you know, does this need to be an episode about painful sex? A lot of women are having uncomfortable intercourse at perimenopause, menopause, and midlife. And it's about time we talk about what we understand about it now. But ultimately, this is an episode that covers a lot of different aspects of uh, healthy sexuality, really. So um, I'm excited to deliver it to you. And what I want to say is that I speak from a heterosexual Uh, As a heterosexual woman, I speak about my relationship with my husband, who is a man, but really this applies to all women. So take your own, um, put your own uh, identity in here, uh, gender in here, whatever works. Inclusion is so important to me. So just... um, yeah, listen to it with an with an open uh, open ear and an open heart, and hopefully you get the message you need from it. So, before I go too much into this, I want to pause to take a word from our sponsor. Our next partner is AG One, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every day in the morning to break my fast. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body, that I'm covering my nutritional bases. This simple daily habit allows me to cover those nutritional bases no matter what the day brings. Oh my gosh, because we never know what the day is going to bring. AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that delivers comprehensive nutrients to support whole body health, replacing your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. That's drinkag1.com slash Fiona Lovely. You can find the link in the show notes. Check it out. 
Okay, time to talk on the subject of sex. Specifically, again, what causes a woman to have vaginal dryness or painful intercourse and what she can do about it when she's in her midlife. But what I really want you to do to start is to think about, think if you could remember what your vagina was like in your 20s. (laughs) So, you know, it was juicy and it was supple and it was responsive to all kinds of stimuli. Um, The wind blowing, your jeans tight, a movie, a cute human on the sidewalk, your hand, your partner's look, a stranger across the room. All of these things caused your body to respond. Your vagina, your vulva responded. And that was a pretty cool thing, but There's a lot of reasons why that changes. It's a physiological thing, meaning we do not have the same hormonal response as we get into midlife, sort of perimenopause, late 30s, 40s, 50s, etc. And things just really start to change. But man, there's not really great resources on how you can take care of your vagina, how uh, how and why these things can start to go sideways. And so this is a starter conversation about that. So with the decrease of hormones at perimenopause, women can experience the GSM, which is the genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And this is one of those syndromes that we're really starting to understand well. Um, We have a term for it. Uh, We can call it out. We could say, okay, if a woman is in this syndrome, then what can we offer her for treatment, for relief? So what is it? What does GSM look like? GSM, again, genitourinary syndrome of menopause. It looks like dryness, burning, irritation, even bleeding and pain with sex. It is looks like increased urgency of the bladder and increased frequency of urination. And also it looks like bladder infections, repeat bladder infections, which often for women in perimenopause is referred to as overactive bladder, which is a different medication that's given to that. But now we're really starting to understand what's happening in the effects of particularly uh, low estrogen on the vulvovaginal tissues and how it can cause these symptoms. And so um, again, with understanding comes better options. So the pain, the pain you're feeling, the dryness you're feeling, the irritation, et cetera, which is uh, somewhere between 50 and 80% of women in midlife. So I know there's a lot of you out there that are responding to this. And this has been me too. So I've learned a lot about this for myself, but also for my patients. So Tissue atrophy happens in the um, decline of estrogen or the absence of estrogen, and then decreased blood flow is involved here too. And in fact, that can cause a reduced orgasm response. You can have pale and fragile vaginal tissues, uh, even shrinkage of the clitoris. Now, these are extreme things that I'm talking about here. But I think it's important to know that if you have these symptoms and you're not looking at what are safe and effective treatments for it, this is the kind of thing that can happen. And even uh, absorption of the labia with time and decreased hormones. So um, this is a pretty important thing to understand. It's a fairly simple fix. 
um, depending on what's going on. And as we expand our knowledge of what it means to take care of women at midlife and during perimenopause, we can really um, get more options for treatment. But I can tell you the treatments that I've used for myself uh, have been I wish I'd had them a lot, a lot of years ago. Anyway, so uh, decreased estrogen, decreased testosterone, and de changes to DHEA, which is an anti-aging anabolic hormone, are really the culprits of what can happen with a woman's pelvic health, with the physical tissues. And so they're all available as replacement hormones. Now, the most... Um, probably the most well-known at this point is an estrogen vaginal cream estrogen or vaginal suppository insert. Um, this works to give the tissues the estrogen that it's missing. And it's a very, very, very small dose of estrogen, tiny, literally a fraction of uh, what you were taking as uh, birth control pills when you were... Um, working to prevent, uh, um, or looking for contraception. So it, please don't worry about that. I know there's concerns about blood clots and breast cancer, and that does not apply to a topical cream. So, you know, your doctor should be talking you through all of this, but don't let that stop you from getting treatment of these things that are very, very easy to treat. It turns out, wouldn't you know? So, uh, inserts, creams, and a ring are available. And if you are taking, uh, estrogen systemically, meaning you're doing a patch on your arm or your belly, or you're doing a gel or a cream, you can still take the vaginal estrogen. It is not something that it's one or the other. Um, the systemic uh, is for the whole body, but if a woman still needs to have topical application of estrogen, then she can do that and that tends to stay locally to where it's applied. Now, what I want you to start to think about is that midlife more than ever before, we have an opportunity to look at our sexual health in a new way and to perhaps have better or different conversations around sex. And really, really important. Now, again, I, from a from a hetero perspective, I can tell you that men in their andropause are going through their own issues that are not diff not easy for them to talk uh, to us about our partners, their partners, or their doctors about, and that's typically erectile dysfunction, which means uh, difficulty with the erection itself, either getting hard or staying hard or getting hard enough for insertion, and or men can start to deal with premature ejaculation. Those are two of the big issues that we see. Um, with men at andropause. And um, what's really interesting is that there are way better options um, very up, up to very recently for men having uh, sexual health issues at uh, their own in their own lives than there ever have been for women, which I always think is just so funny. Like, where do they think all those hard uh, penises are going to go if we've got a bunch of dry vaginas? Like, it really should have been that at the time we were doing um, Viagra, we should have thought, oh, you know, we really need to make sure we're taking care of the vaginas that are the receivers of these penises, which, again, is another part of this conversation is maybe you don't even want to have insertional sex anymore. 
Maybe we live in a society where the penis, for the most part, has made up the beginning, middle, and end of sexual encounters for heterosexual couples. It may be the same for same-sex homosexual couples as well. But, you know, this is the conversation is like, well, maybe I don't want that anymore. I mean, if you're experiencing painful intercourse, then maybe what you want is more intimacy, touching, caressing, uh, kissing, petting, these kinds of things, instead of it being about the ejaculation, the male erection and the ejaculation, which was fine for procreation. We needed penis and vagina for procreation. But when you start to see that it can be a different way, you want to sort of sharpen the pencil or, or hone what pleasure means for you. Because when we take reproduction out of the equation, And sex becomes about connection, intimacy, um, coming together with a loved one, then you don't have to be so concerned about penis and vagina. You can literally just make it what it needs to be for you in the moment. And I think it's really important to give permission to start, give women permission to start to think about this in a different way. And you may already have gotten there. If, if the erection has been a problem, then it's come out of the, um, Uh, equation altogether, then you've probably figured out different ways to do it. And it depends on your uh, relationship. It depends on your ability to talk to your partner about these things. I think it's all really important. But I will say that libido is one of those things I hear about a lot uh, from the women in my practice. And I just want to say I feel like libido is a very male concept. Whereas for a woman, We are more about desire and pleasure, where the libido feels like, it feels like an erection, really, is what it feels like. So um, what I want you to do is, when you're thinking about your own libido, and I want to give credit to Emily Nagoski for starting this conversation or continuing the conversation around... Um, women and their sexual partners and our sexual health and how we think about desire. And there was an excellent article in the New York Times uh, in January of 2024. Uh, just if you met, if you Google Emily Nagoski, you should have it come up. She's got a book coming out. Uh, if it's not out already by the time this episode drops, it's coming out shortly. It's called Come Together. And her first book is called Come As You Are. Excellent read as well, again, on sexual health. And um, <clears throat> what she's proposing is that instead of waiting for desire or libido to arrive, we cultivate desire via pleasure-seeking activities. So we literally make time for pleasure, which is fascinating, really. Because, you know, the whole concept of of being spontaneous, forget that. At a certain point, if you wait for it to be spontaneous, nothing's happening. (laughs) Because spontaneity is associated with generally speaking, the reproductive hormones. And so if you're in midlife and you're experiencing the decline of your desire, then chances are it's connected to the decline of the reproductive hormones. I mean, from a biological point of view, the hormones are there to encourage us to couple, to procreate. 
So they make us pleasing and they make us interesting and they make us um, juicy and desirable and all of those things. And at a certain point, you may be able to replace those hormones. But there's also a behavioral aspect here too, where you can start to go, well, what does please me? And how can I prioritize that? And so we have this moment where we realize we can cultivate desire, we can cultivate uh, pleasure. And as you, if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you know, I talk about the deliberate pursuit of pleasure. I know how important that's been for my own self-care routines, whatever that means. I mean, it can, it can mean a lot of different things. So you are best to know, you will know for yourself what's best in terms of uh, a pleasure practice. And I'm not just talking about sexual health, although it's a big part of it. Um, but anyway, so I encourage you to um, look for the rising of desire through the deliberate seeking of pleasure. And that may be a massage, um, a bath, a walk in nature, a great book, a foot rub, like a pedicure, a spa day with your friends. Like there's a lot of different ways that can show up. And I know I have quite the list myself and it's changing all the time. So I encourage you to, to get to know what gives you pleasure and what self-care looks at, like for you. So understand that sex is complex, complex and the behaviors around it are driven by hormones until menopause. And then when it comes time that the hormones stop doing their cyclical thing, then it becomes about healthy habits. I encourage you to schedule plan, anticipate, and collaborate with your sexual partner if you have one. And let it be a part of self-care, not an obligation, but a joyful place of play, exploration, and enjoyment. And again, it can be, looking at it can be like having a great conversation with a friend or a spectacular meal or going on vacation or one of those things that you think about and plan it can be just like that. And I'm giving you permission to let it be like that because, you know, I think, um, we know that sex is good. We know that orgasm is good for the brain. We know that connection is good for the brain. So we know that both of those things are markers for health as we age. So they're longevity, um, metrics. So let's embrace them in a way that may be different than we've seen before. So, Again, let's start thinking about sex apart from the male erection and ejaculation. And I think one of the people that does this best, this conversation best, is Dr. Kelly Casperson and her podcast, which is called You Are Not Broken. It is fantastic. She is very open and inclusive when she's talking about uh, sexuality. She is a urologist, and so she is well familiar with the... Um, uh, the intimate anatomy, let's just say for both men and women. And she has a fascinating story about how it is she came to be talking about these things, but please go and listen to her podcast. It is really, it'll really start to expand your awareness of what it means to have a healthy sex life. But, but anyways, um, to continue the, the thought, the thread as our tissues change, our interests change and a conversation with our partners is necessary. And maybe sex with insertion isn't your thing. And it's totally okay to speak it. But then you have to figure out what your thing is, you know, because we've got to 
This is really a communication conversation. This is really communi a communication that needs to happen between you and your partner so that everybody feels comfortable and nobody feels left out because we know that there are such sensitive feelings around conversations with sex. Um, and so just, just handle it. And of course, there are specialists out there who can help you have those conversations in a safe and supportive manner. Uh, I've got a couple of them coming on the podcast in coming months. So um, stay tuned for that. And again, aim for connection, intimacy and pleasure. I do want to say there's some really interesting discussions uh, happening with the sexual health um, community about women who have sex in particular at the six o'clock uh, part of the uh, vulva vagina, which is the very bottom of the vaginal opening. If the clitoris is 12 o'clock, then the bottom of the vaginal opening is six o'clock. If that's you and you happen to have pain there during intercourse, then uh, that points to low DHEA. So if you have a prescriber, you can ask questions about that, whether that should be part of your uh, hormone replacement or hormone therapy. And there is even some discussion about that being part of the compounded into the vaginal estrogen, which I think is a is a pretty uh, is a pretty neat practice. I know for myself, I've been using vaginal DHEA for quite a few years and um it does make a difference, but it's not a product that's readily available. So you just, that may require you to have a more open focused uh, practitioner, which I know sometimes it's hard to even get the most basic stuff, forget the advanced stuff. So uh, Dr. Kasperson on her podcast talks about this quite a bit. Again, it's called You Are Not Broken. Okay, so you know I love to finish with a tactical list. So here we go. Could you benefit from hormone therapy? And I believe after keeping an eye on this particular thing for the last year, maybe year and a half, every single woman who I've recommended uh, use the vaginal estrogen cream has come back to me and said, that is the best stuff ever. Why weren't we told about it sooner? And I completely and entirely agree. Now, for me, I was one of those repeat UTI folks, repeat bladder infections, and I've had those since I was, you know, uh, was first having sex. Uh, so that's not new. But what we know now, and there's research that shows that women who use vaginal estrogen, even if you're not menopausal or perimenopausal, if, if a woman is using vaginal estrogen cream, it decreases her chance of bladder infections by 68%. So you've heard me say it here. The treatment for repeat UTIs is not antibiotics necessarily. It's vaginal estrogen. Now, let me be clear. If you have an active infection, you have to do the antibiotics because those bugs can go systemic quite easily and then you're really in trouble. So please don't hear only take your vaginal cream. I'm saying if you have an active infection and you're being treated by your doctor, your pharmacist, your nurse practitioner, then take the antibiotics and ask for vaginal estrogen and start using that right away. If you're anything like me, I noticed a change with that immediately. 
So, and I wonder why I wasn't told about that earlier. So please, if you are that person that has troubles with the overactive bladder, which is what it's called in perimenopause, chances are it's probably low vaginal estrogen and the cream is the right choice for you. Now I talked about DHEA, testosterone creams are also an option that really requires you to have a conversation with your prescriber. I like testing for these things because to me, we know that a woman can go too high in these hormones just as easily as she goes too low. And so they do have to be monitored. And that's my argument for it. Um, I know that there are some practitioners out there who are saying, no, every woman can just take these hormones and not worry about it. Maybe to start, but like, let's get a good, let's look and see. And I always think it's better uh, to know than to guess when it comes to the hormone levels, which are powerful, powerful, uh, uh, natural um, occurring compounds in the body. Um, and they are powerful in tiny amounts. So you really want to be monitoring it. Okay. Is your pelvic floor involved? So if you're having difficulties with orgasm, which you did not before, or painful intercourse that doesn't seem to be connected to low levels of hormones, then I want you to consider seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Uh, this is uh, an emerging field. Uh, the women who, I, there are dudes that do it too, but generally speaking, it's women. The women who are practicing pelvic floor physiotherapy really quite passionate about this subject and I find it just incredibly helpful for a lot of women. So find a pelvic floor physio in your area, someone uh, who can guide you through um, what may be going on for you specifically. Okay, repeat UTI and dryness got you avoiding intimacy vaginal estrogen cream, which I just talked about at length. But again, if you're dry, if sex is painful, if you are irritated or there's burning or you're not achieving orgasm as easily as you had before, then I really want you to talk to somebody who can prescribe hormones for you about the genitourinary syndrome of menopause or the GSM. And again, and finally, prioritize pleasure. Deliberately seek it. Rearrange what sex has been for you to accommodate your changing needs and your body. It doesn't need to stay the same. Now, listen, if you're 85 and you're having penis and vagina sex and it's totally working for you, then brava, mummy. But please share your secrets with the rest of us. <laughs> I have heard it said that... Uh, as we get older, sex gets more satisfying. Isn't that fascinating? And I can't help but wonder if it doesn't have to do with the settling of the ocean of hormones that change our moods by the second, um, but also that we get more comfortable asking for what we really need. So an important thing. Let desire rise because you are prioritizing and cultivating it. It's self-love in its purest form. So that's what I have for you today. I hope it was helpful. I know there was a lot of um, great information for me to pack into this episode. And, you know, I always try to keep it uh, concise and tactical for you. So hopefully that has been the case today. Now, as always, if there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please send me a message on Facebook at Not Your Mother's Menopause Podcast or on Instagram or TikTok at Dr. Fiona Lovely. And if you want to know more about my work, you can always go to my website, drlovely.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. Be well. Thanks for listening. 
The views and nutritional advice expressed by Dr. Fiona Lovely are not intended to be a substitute for conventional medical service. If you have or suspect that you have a medical problem, promptly contact your health care provider. No information offered here should be interpreted as a diagnosis of any disease, nor an attempt to treat or prevent or cure any disease or condition. As with any new advice or program, you should always contact your health care provider prior to starting anything new. Thank you.